We all know that I love making and recording my own podcast. Loudmouth is my heart and soul. But what's even more fun is that it's easy to do. And guess what? (laughs) You can do one too. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. You can make money from it with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast right there in one place for free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to or welcome back to Loudmouth Podcast. I'm your host, the one and only host of Loudmouth, Madison Hadler. I hope you're so ready to listen to me and my guests today talk about everything and anything under the sun, which is basically what this podcast is always about. So I hope you guys enjoy. This week, I have a very special guest on. Her name is Lillian Stone. Um, I knew her through my sorority. We went to the same college, and we're both in Pi Phi together, not at the same time, but, you know, within the couple of years of each other. But I actually reconnected with her through Twitter. Um, Lillian is a comedian, but also a comedy writer and writer journalist whatever you want to call her she does everything under the sun within writing and freelance writing and comedy and things like that um she actually works for a place called the takeout and they're a subset or they're under the same parent company as the onion she talks about it a little bit later but they focus on food reviews food articles talking about what's coming up in food and drink and things like that So that's where she resides now. And I was really happy to have her on because, one, she's hilarious. Um, I will have her Twitter linked below. You guys need to scroll through it. She's so funny. But also, I just wanted to learn more a little bit about freelance writing, how one gets involved in that, how one gets involved in comedy writing and writing for food and everything like that. So if you're interested in learning more about that, please feel free to stick around and listen. And even if you're not interested in it, honestly, Lillian will make you feel interested in it. She's so funny, so relatable, and so sweet. And yeah, can I, do I ever say anything bad about my guests? Absolutely not. But um, because I choose the best people, of course, to be on Loudmouth. But uh, I think you guys will really like Lillian. She's just so lighthearted and funny while also talking about real things. So continue to listen please make sure that you follow loudmouth to keep up with us and everything like that enjoy to do this with me first start off by introducing yourself telling who you are what you do all that fun stuff yeah um I'm Lillian Stone I am a food writer and humor writer and I live in Chicago uh with my two little dogs <laughs> and you just didn't you just get the beagle or maybe you've had him for a little bit no he's pretty new we just had his one year anniversary oh. last week <laughs> Um, yeah, but I've had my Boston for about four years, and then the Beagle was a pandemic pup edition. 
Okay, well, thank you so much for being on here. So I kind of just wanted to talk about, I know like a couple years ago, whenever I was in a communications class, you came in and you talked a little bit about writing and just like getting into the writing world and stuff like that. I forget what class it was. I was going to ask whose class, do you remember whose class it was? I don't remember whose it was, <laughs> but I remember you being there because I don't know if we had met at that point, but I knew that you had been a Pi Fi. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I, I like know that name. I recognize that name. Um, so whenever you got into college, what did you kind of know what you were gonna you were gonna focus on writing or what did it kind of start out as? No, so when I uh, started at Drury, I thought that I wanted to do nonprofit PR, uh, which I did do for a little bit after school, even though I ended up getting my major in journalism, but I didn't figure out that I wanted to major in uh, writing fields until like my junior year. It was way late. <laughs> way late. So did you start with communications and then move over to journalism? Exactly. And what kind of made you decide or what did anything happen that made you kind of decide that's what you wanted to do or was it just kind of? Yeah, well, okay, so I, uh, I was taking, there's like a multimedia writing class, if yeah. they still have that, and I, some, I got connected with my friend Juan Franco, who was the editor of The Mirror when I was there, this was probably like 2014, and he asked if I wanted to take over as the weekend editor, because at the time, the weekend section was just like, the goofiest section of the paper and he was like take this and do whatever you want with it and I was like yes for sure so I joined the newspaper staff and I loved it so much uh and I before that I hadn't really connected with communications like I had taken the advertising classes and mm -hmm. I never really felt like I knew what I was doing yeah. <laughs> there was this definitely this subset of students that was like really passionate about it and I was like what are you talking about <laughs> so uh when I found journalism it felt really right and the program was really small I mean there are like two of us that yeah from the program I don't even know if it's still around um but yeah so that's that's kind of how that happened and then I took over uh as the editor-in-chief of the mirror after that okay so did you kind of you talked about earlier you um write for like food and humor writing when you were writing at the mirror is that what you focused on or did you do other things there I've always been really into uh, restaurants. And so I was just like making asinine restaurant recommendations to people, I think, <laughs> through through the newspaper. Uh, but I knew that I really liked kind of lifestyle-y writing just because it allowed me to let a little bit more of my personality come through. Yeah. So yeah, so I did do a little bit of that. Um, and I didn't, like at this point, I didn't know that humor writing was even a thing, right? Like I knew that somebody probably had to, make funny movies happen but it was not in uh <laughs> like I, I just had no clue that it was even a thing until after I graduated so I think I was just kind of messing around just mess around yeah we had so much fun and we always went to El Mog so we would uh we would send the paper to print on Thursday nights always like right under the wire at like 8 p.m and then we would go to El Mog's uh for underage margaritas oh <laughs> fancy yeah. I hope you didn't talk about that in your article uh, in any of your articles. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need to report on that. It's it's a well-known <laughs> secret. <laughs> so we, whenever you graduated, you said that you went into nonprofit for a little bit. So what kind of made you decide to get out of that and get in more into writing? Yeah. So when I graduated, I actually started at a magazine. Uh, I started at 417, which is like a lifestyle magazine in Springfield. And they had me doing social media, which was another thing that like, 
<laughs> I just didn't get it. Like, I, I mean, I, like, obviously I tweet uh, idiotic things like five times a day now, but at that point it was, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel yeah. like something that I was equipped to do. And so I stayed there for about a year and met some of my really good friends. And then I moved into uh, nonprofit communication. So I took over as the communications manager at the downtown Springfield Association. Oh, okay. <laughs> like a fun full circle thing because yeah. um, I've lived in Springfield my whole life or I did so I did that and it was hard and intense as you probably know since you work in in nonprofit yeah, it's yeah. really intense and th- at the same time I uh, I still wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do and so I was like applying to grad schools applying to film schools watching a lot of movies and tv <laughs> and actually sat down with Jonathan Groves and asked him to write me a recommendation for like UCLA film school and he was like you need to just go to Chicago and go do the second city like what are you doing (laughs) don't spend a hundred thousand dollars on on an MFA so at the time I was like obviously I need to go to UCLA so I applied to UCLA and didn't get in because the teacher was awful (laughs) it was really bad and so I guess to like soothe myself, I started taking online classes with the Second City. So uh, I started, I took like a satire writing class just for fun to like distract myself from my super stressful day job. And it clicked for the first time ever. Like I, I don't know, it clicked in a way that work had never felt like for me. Like Mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, I never super felt like I fit in where I was working or like I was very good at my job even and then I found this like satire community that was really really cool probably in like 2017 and it just kind of went from there and so I stayed in my job like a year and a half and then I was like I'm gonna go be a comedy writer like bye (laughs) (laughs) gotta go yeah I'm gonna go so I left and became a freelance writer so I was doing a lot of freelance work and did that for like three years until I got uh, my current job. Yeah. So how does freelance work in writing? Like, how did you kind of come to do it, I guess, really? <laughs> yeah. A lot of it came down to those connections from my first job at 417. So that was probably like the first big freelance publication that I had. And then from there, the more you write, like the more clips you get or the more like work samples you can send people. And from there, just pitching, like pitching your butt off to strangers, which is really scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Often really sad. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, I think like knowing, um, that there's going to be a lot of rejection involved, but once you connect with a certain number of editors, then then you're good to go and you can meet some really cool people that way. Yeah. So pitching, what does that entail? What does that look like for? Yes. So if you want to write for a certain publication, like say you want to write for like Glamour magazine or (laughs) I don't know, uh, Sports Illustrated, (laughs) two of my favorite magazines. My favorite magazines, honestly. (laughs) Really? Um, So you would find out you, you need like an editor contact, which is pretty easy to get via Twitter nowadays because that's mm-hmm. where like a lot of media people are active. So you need to do a little sleuthing and figure out who you need to reach out to. You figure out their email address and some are more forthcoming than others with that info. And then you basically send them a pitch via email and you're like, hey, I'm Lillian. These are some of the places that I've written for. Send them like some links and here's what I want to write for you. And then send them like a little synopsis of that. And they'll either ignore you and never get back to you or send you a no or be like yeah let's do it yeah you got nothing to lose as long as you were like 
kind and respectful and like on your shit, you got nothing to lose. You just do it. So how was, so did you end up just kind of moving to Chicago and then figuring it out from there? Or did you have some things kind of like set up? I had something set up. So I stayed in Springfield and freelanced and saved money for like, what? Quite a while, probably like seven or eight months after I uh-huh. quit my job um, because rent is wildly cheap. I was yeah. paying like $200 in rent. Like it's literally disgusting. So <laughs> I worked out of there and tried to like build up my, my income and get it to a pretty stable place. And then I, uh, yeah, moved to Chicago, lived in like an Airbnb on a goat farm for a couple months while I was like trying to find an apartment. And then, uh, yeah, that went from there. Went from there. You lived on a goat farm. How did, (laughs) was it just you or was it like, were you a part of the house? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know what you mean. It was me and a gazillion other people and turtle. I brought my little dog with me. Um, so yeah, it was like a boarding house basically. Like there were a bunch of random like PhD students there and uh like like farm workers like woofers that were hanging out there. I was only there for a couple months, but okay. it was like a fun transitional. Yeah. <laughs> and I did that while I uh was like taking comedy classes and stuff. Okay. Did you I was going to ask actually perfect segue. Did you um continue taking classes throughout? I know you said you started out with like the satire class. Did you continue taking classes and do you continue kind of yeah, explaining that a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Um I haven't taken a class in a good long while and I would love to get back to it cuz I think it's the best. I mean, it's like accountability and you can meet some really good friends that way. So I finished the whole satire track and like graduated, which is cool. Cause you can do that online. Yeah. Uh, definitely recommend it to anybody who has like ever thought about writing any kind of humor. Um, so I did that. And then I did the sketch program, which is really fun. You're basically in it for a year. And at the very end of it, you uh, write and put on your own sketch show, but we only got to perform once and then oh. we got shut down from the pandemic. Yeah. Sad. But I, I met some really good friends that I'm still in touch with there. Yeah. So I was actually gonna ask again, how did the pandemic kind of affect like your career and your life in the writing world? In, yeah. Did it at it was- all? It was very hard. It was yeah. super hard, especially the first few months. Uh, I lost the vast majority of my freelance work just because people weren't like farming stuff out like they used to. Um, places, you know, magazines were laying their entire staffs off. People were getting axed left and right. And so it was tough. And it was also really lonely, like freelancing. <laughs> Let's get into my inner turmoil. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the show's all about. Actually, <laughs> It was also well, freelancing is awesome because you have the power to work from wherever you want. But I also like live by myself. I don't have roommates and coffee shops were closed. So yeah. you work from coffee shops. So it was just me like by myself in my apartment all the time working on my little measly jobs that I had left over to like pay my bills. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's actually, I, I love freelancing and I had a really good time with it, but that was the point where I was like, I want to be part of a team, like yeah. at, a, at a workplace. Yeah. I really miss talking to people every day. Exactly. And like having that community kind of like inspire you and help you like totally. tackle out ideas. So when, during the pandemic, were you doing humor writing or what kind of writing were you focused on? Or was it just kind of like whatever you could kind of um, get? 
kind of all of the above. Yeah. So my, my biggest client that I was really lucky to keep throughout the pandemic was an app that I wrote jokes for, which was awesome. Um, it was really fun and really cool and everybody should download it. Um, but then from there, I mean, most of my like journalism work kind of dissolved for a while. It did come back, which is lovely, but to pay my bills, I was like writing blog posts for industrial manufacturers and like old folks homes which was really sad that just is- like whatever I could get to like pay my rent basically yeah. until I got my my job is there like a network that you look at those jobs through because I know it's like you said a lot of it is obviously connection but yeah. for like those kind of jobs to fill in the gaps where those through like- so I have been really lucky but also really intentional about like making those connections and networking with people. So uh, both of those were through referral from people that I knew, which was amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm really lucky that way. I've got um, some really good people in my corner, but a lot of people do find success with, um, there's like content writing specific sites and Mm -hmm. I think like Upwork. It's so word of mouth. Like I think to get the really good stuff that can sustain you financially and doesn't, you know, suck your soul out, it's totally word of mouth. Uh, a lot of that comes from Twitter and like, I don't know, making connections that way, which can sometimes be (laughs) kind of not fun, but I don't know. I seriously think that it's all about being nice to people and being yourself and not, you know, not being robotic at networking events and yeah. Yeah. A lot of my work, which is really nice. Yeah. So do you feel like you have to, I don't even know how to put it, but like build your Twitter person. Like, do you feel like you have to build yourself on Twitter to get more like, I don't know, clout, I guess, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. As, as crazy as that sounds. So uh, right now my agent and I are finalizing my book proposal and we're like, we need to get more Twitter followers to, to, to sell it. So it's like a pretty marketable deal as it sounds so sleazy and insane and it's gross, but I think it's like a thing that everybody knows. Um, So yeah, it's a really good place to like, make jokes and be stupid and and you've seen my twitter my twitter is stupid like it is so dumb um but I guess people like (laughs) yeah I mean honestly I've obviously followed you for a while now say I will say this yeah I think that there is definitely a line and there are boundaries that you got to set for yourself because like we all know in this industry Twitter is a pretty essential tool, like yeah. for networking and career building, but it's also a hellscape. Like it's a horrible place to be always. So I think a lot of people invest a lot of time and energy into it. And I think that I'm more of the mindset that like, I need to be myself. I'm going to use it to promote my work. And if I don't get, you know, 4,000 likes on a tweet about my own anus, then it's okay. Like yeah. it's the world. <laughs> It's so difficult because it's like building up your brand, but also like being true to who you are. And Uh, yeah, because obviously people want relatable or at least people say they want relatable until you're like almost too relatable. And then they're like, wait, I wanted someone like. That's a line. That's definitely a line. I feel like, yeah, just all the discourse. (laughs) There's so much discourse. I think I really, I stay out of it for the most part, uh, unless it's like retweeting people who are spreading like social justice causes that I feel strongly about. But other than that, like I, I'm staying out of the discourse and I'm only popping in to tell you guys about a dream that I had about uh, (laughs) a little bird. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's it. <laughs> do you, have you ever received any kind of like negative feedback on any of your, of your tweets or anything? How do you totally. deal with that? <laughs> Ew, it happens all the time. It is gross and weird. Um, do you want to know the wildest one? I would love to know the wildest one. <laughs> okay, there. It sucks so much. This is so insane. So uh, it was probably toward the beginning of quarantine last year. I posted this dumb video uh, to the the Love Machine song, the like, because oh, okay. I just watched Heavyweights, which is the greatest film. And it was like a montage and the idea was that like I live with the person who does the scary voice in the love machine song which you know the song it's like yeah it's like startling and so I was like jumping like it was like a montage of me jumping and I did it in my pjs and there is a nip slip in the video which was an accident and I didn't realize it was in there until the video had already gone pretty viral Uh it was like (laughs) I have large puffy nipples let's be clear about that and so I didn't realize it because I thought it was just part of my boob like they're not I don't I don't know they're just no I understand yeah. do you know what I mean yeah and until people were like oh my fucking god like there's there's this video is nipple city and most people are pretty cool about it but I have this one guy <laughs> who's still like once a month I don't know why <laughs> He retweets the video, he quote tweets the video. He'll go and find the video and he'll quote tweet it and he'll be like, nip, like, nipple. It is deranged. Like, (laughs) it happens all, like, once a month. He has like a reminder on his phone that's like, don't let Lillian forget that she's. And like, I don't, whatever, I don't care. Like, it's, you know, it's it's like a tiny sliver of areola. Like, it's not. But at this guy once a month is like, ah, oh, remember when? Like, <laughs> it sucks. It's so insane. That sucks, especially because I literally know, like, being someone who, you know, does not like social media nonprofit and also tries to do like my own kind of social media stuff. Like, you watch something so many times and you have been with it for so long, especially like something that you've been thinking about that you're like, oh, this is gonna be really funny. This is gonna be good. Yes. And you look at it and you're just, way too close to it and then you post it and then like you go back later and you're like oh my god my breast did I not see my nipple my own my own nipple wait and then okay that's that's the worst one and then I'm gonna pull up an email that I got (laughs) I have a little folder that's called nasty mail because we get a weird amount of hate mail at work the subject line is you are dot 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 and the body copy just says dot 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 disrespectful and vulgar I guess you think you are humorous not at all said from Xfinity (laughs) they said I'm gonna go out of my way to make sure she knows that she is not funny I'm gonna send it to her I'm sending this to her work email (laughs) thing that scares me the most about the internet is some of the people on there are scary they're scary and they're scary committed to what they think and what they think being right and all that kind of stuff there is like this thing, especially with like young woman comedy Twitter, whatever that is. Like, there's like a I don't know a subset of young woman comedy Twitter, but people are very like open about people that they're dating and like their sex lives and their neighborhoods. And I, it's not for me. Like, yeah, I will tweet about my 
anatomy until the cows come home or like a weird mole that I found on my thumb but like (laughs) you will not catch me tweeting about like my boyfriend or where I live like no no people out there that are so bad and scary yeah especially being a woman in kind of a more like male dominated field as well like there are people out there to you know be like women don't belong here totally yeah it's gross and weird yeah you started working you stopped freelancing you work now for like a company can you kind of explain a little bit about the company and what you do now Yes, um, I have a rockin' job. I work a rockin' bot and a rockin' job. Uh, <laughs> just ask the man who retweets my areola once a month. Once a month. <laughs> he, can, he does not get that nipple out of his head. Oh, <laughs> he gets, lives in there. Um, so I am a staff writer for The Takeout, which is the sister site of The Onion. So it's also based in Chicago. And uh, The Onion does satire, but we don't. We're just like a food pop culture site. So we are like <laughs> basically adults who love candy and Dr. <laughs> pepper and like fast food and we just write about dumb food stuff all day it's really fun that is really fun how many people are employed through the company we so we're a tiny site but our parent company is huge so we're owned by geo media which owns like the onion jezebel deadspin like lots and lots of publications um but our team i think is the smallest and there's only five of us okay do you guys do i have to ask do you guys do like drink review reviews and stuff like that so interestingly enough we have one column uh that one staff writer does once a week and it's uh, she reviews a different non-alcoholic cocktail or oh, like okay. non-alcoholic beer every week it's called like a virgin which i think is very funny That's very funny um but yeah no we totally will like uh i'm trying to think about like last month i had to go to 7-eleven and review their like new fish bites <laughs> Which we didn't end up printing because they were really bad. Oh but no! Like, yeah, if there's if there's like a new McFlurry or you know something okay. like that, we're on it. Yeah, because I well I have a love for Pepsi Pepsi products. Well, they came up with the Peepsy Peepsy, first of all. yeah, and then they kid they came out with a mango one, Pepsi and I know. yes, okay, this is so funny because I'm on the Pepsi beat at work. Really? So whenever there is new weird Pepsi stuff, I'm like, let's yeah. Go- so I literally did a like I did a TikTok reviewing the Pepsi Mango because I really wanted to try it, but I also just love Pepsi. I thought it tasted like a mango jewel pod, and I hate that I know that. Um, okay, well that's really cool about you being on the Pepsi beat though, because <laughs> that is my favorite drink. I if I could get if I could get Pepsi to sponsor me ever in my life, I will have made it one hundred percent. You should try to get on their new reality show. Have you heard about this? I actually genuinely should. I'll show them my TikTok of me reviewing this. I feel like, yeah, that could be huge. You could be the next face of Pepsi Mango. I would sob, even though it it wasn't bad, but it wasn't the most delicious thing I've ever had. I'm with you. I think it would be cool with all like the Coke, like coffee drinks that are coming out. Do people like review those on that? I'm trying to think. I don't. So with bigger brands like that, we only do reviews if it's like a huge deal. Like mm. just got a shipment of like Pips or sorry, Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. Oh yeah. And I think like, you know, I tried it and I think we try it to see if it's like life changing or like, you know, makes our tongue turn purple or something <laughs> insane. Uh, but otherwise we're just like, cool, Dr. Pepper, like thanks for the sample. And we'll like yeah. post your Instagram story. So do, do, do they send you a lot of the things that you guys review or 
sometimes so we will do um yeah we get we get sent samples which is the fanciest thing ever yeah uh, and it never stops being cool <laughs> you're like um, pr packages of food and drink it's crazy and it's stupid because i live on the third floor of like an apartment building and people are like what are these mysterious boxes that are coming in for lillian that sound like if you shake it like there's a six pack of beer in there um but no so we'll review shipments sometimes but the best the best thing to do is to go and get the hot new fast food item that just drops mm. like today my boss went to burger king to get the new chicken sandwich like at the moment the moment it was released <laughs> that is so cool because it's like it's so, so niche like it's a very yeah. niche thing but like I mean, needed people want to know what they, what you think about food know. and stuff. And like, yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, I'm trying to think, yeah, I'm on McFlurry duty next month. So keep an eye out. I, I've got that new McFlurry flavor unlocked. That is literally so fun. Do you specialize in anything or is it more just like, I mean, you said earlier, you're kind of on like the Pepsi beat, but is there like anything else that you stick to or is it just kind of whatever? We all work on like breaking news stuff. Everybody splits that pretty evenly, but we've all got kind of different uh, backgrounds. So one of my coworkers is, uh, she develops most of our recipes that we share on the site. And then another one of my coworkers, uh, whose name is Dennis, he uh, is known for being down to eat whatever. Like <laughs> he will put marshmallow paste, wait, what? No, marshmallow fluff, marshmallow paste. Paste marshmallow fluff in like a bean burrito and go and eat it like he does not care and so he does like food experiments and it's like can this be done <laughs> um and then I am the staff writer who has like a journalism background and so if we do like interviews or profiles uh I'll do those and I like to do like in-depth features too like I got to talk to Gerald Stratford the uh British vegetable king which yes! Was wait yes I, I actually saw that on your profile and I read it because I love old people and <laughs> they're happy and joyful, like brings me life. So I read it because I love him. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I get to, I'm really lucky. I get to do stuff like that. I do have a column uh, that comes out once a month. It's called a dark and stormy bite oh. and it's like scary food things. So we've done like uh, Dutch cannibals. And this month we did like the time that a mysterious like beef shower rained across this town in Kentucky. Like I, think I also saw that on your Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do, I'm on the scary food, scary food beat. That's so fun. Cause random, but yeah, <laughs> it's stupid, but there's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> yeah. For real. I mean, there's so many things that don't get covered or don't get enough coverage about scary food thing so you're the one on it you're literally on it <laughs> today I got to write about uh, a couple in upstate New York who have been they've been finding like empty coffee cups in their front yard for three years and they're like who is doing this like who's leaving the coffee cups they've been saving the coffee cups because they're petty I guess yeah. and they found out that it was the wife's old co-worker who's been dropping this trash in their yard every day for three years did they have beef? <laughs> Did they have beef? They have beef. They, and you know what? It seems like she might have been like a union buster. So I kind of think she had it coming if she was okay. trying to use the union. But you still do some freelance work on the side of working yeah. for a company. What does that kind of consist of? Do you have to kind of like limit how much you do? Obviously, because you have a full-time job. I do limit how much I do. Um, so I still do some like company blog writing. But a lot of it is... Uh, yeah, just like human interest features. Mm -hmm. Like I just did 
a big package for 417 that was about like local farmers which was really fun oh, that's really fun yeah um I contribute to the onion on a freelance basis too which is fun so I like I get to write uh sports headlines which I like a lot yeah so I was actually gonna ask you on your website and everything it says like contributed like headline or whatever so what does that mean and what does that kind of entail yes so the way that the onion staff is set up is uh the the staffers are the ones who write the actual stories uh, and they also do headlines, but freelance contributors like me can submit headlines every week. So I send in 10 sports headlines every Tuesday. And if they get selected, then they'll be like published on the site. And then one of the staff members will write the story that accompanies it. Oh, that's pretty cool. cool. So it's do you fun. get, so do you submit them and then get paid if they go, like if they use it? Typically, yes. But since I work for the company that owns the onion, it's just like part of my salary, (laughs) (laughs) which is a bummer, but everybody else does get paid. Yes. Yeah. And at least, I mean, at least it's something to put on your resume and add up more things. It's like a fun reason to look up sports news. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I love it. It's really fun. (laughs) Yeah. How do you compile all the like articles that you've done and all the headlines that you've done? Do you just have like a a running list of them or oh like on a practical basis yeah Um, like for portfolio and experience yeah so my yeah I'm trying to think I have a spreadsheet uh of rejections which I also put acceptances in there but (laughs) this is the idea I got this idea from another writer like two years ago and she was like I challenged myself to get a hundred rejections every year and so then like if you get acceptances, it's just like a happy thing. So I've been doing that and it's cool because it it, like encourages you to shoot for stuff you might not shoot for if you didn't have goals like getting rejected. So uh, I have that spreadsheet and I put my acceptances in there too. So I'll usually like, if something gets accepted, I'll link to it once it's up there. Um, But yeah, it's just like a Google sheet. It's nothing super fancy. Do you have to separate your Twitter from like your work or how does that kind of go about? Because I know you said, you got that one email to your work. Does it matter for what you do or? No, I am really lucky. Um, my, well, my boss is super cool. First of all, she, she used to work for the onion. So she knows kind of what it's like to, you know, be a joke writer, I guess, mm-hmm. or somebody who wants to do that. And so she's cool with it. Um, but no, we, the takeout is like, by nature a humor site even though we're not a satire site like people come and read us because we are funny and we cuss sometimes and you know like we're a really laid-back site and so I think that is a really cool thing about working in digital media even though it's like kind of a a risky field to go into I don't know that I'd encourage you to go into it because it's certainly um tenuous but it is like as we put our work out there people kind of want to get to know you like as a person too so Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's not a problem I think you know like I said earlier I I try to be selective about the parts of myself that I really put up on Mm -hmm. Twitter I think more power to the people that are really open about some parts of their lives on Twitter but mine is primarily for jokes and so I really don't share a lot of like I don't really talk about like my sex life on Twitter or anything like that it's just like not something that I share openly with people um but other than that like my coworkers at on Twitter is like at fart sandwich like it doesn't <laughs> we are free to be total idiots and I think that's kind of something that's 
becoming characteristic of digital media as a whole. Like mm-hmm. I went back and looked at my, um, <laughs> Dr. Groves had us make Twitters back in like probably 2013 mm-hmm. or 2014. Yeah. And I went back and looked at it and it was like, so formal and like very judicious use of hashtags. And I looked at, I don't, I tweet pure nonsense now. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think people want to get to know their favorite writers as people and like know that they're just normal dudes uh being goofy yeah especially like in humor writing and more like just kind of I mean food blogging just kind of like fun like things like that like you want to be able to trust the person especially with food choices you know you want to be able to trust what they have to say about a certain McFlurry so getting to know them personally on their Twitter is very important yeah it's very it's very hard especially because obviously like I have uh, my daytime job and then this is you know just kind of like my side gig but it's so hard to kind of choose you know what do I want to share on my podcast page and what do I want to share about myself to make myself you know more relatable and feel like people feel like they can trust me but also to like I need to protect me and protect like if my company were to ever get mad about anything I post if you're in a corporation but you want to like do like freelance or be like an influencer or whatever it is that can be really a hard line to yeah that's that's actually why I left my nonprofit job um because I worked for a super buttoned up nonprofit it Mm. was it was pretty formal and when I started getting humor pieces published and like McSweeney's and Reductress and places like that they were pretty foul and (laughs) my boss like didn't want me to share them on my personal social media because I was also serving as like a PR rep at the time Mm. and it just like wasn't working so I think that's a really really hard line to toe and it's like I said like I'm really lucky that I get to put it all out there and it's like is it is a benefit to my job really like it's it helps boost my presence as a writer but I totally have friends who are comedians and humor writers who like can never tell their co-workers what they do or like share their twitters on on a public level so yeah I'm really lucky to be able to do that I hate that I hate that conversation I'm 26. Like, let's not, I'm certainly not the picture of success, but I feel like I've been able to create a career that I really love for myself. And I don't think that you should have to sacrifice like having a sense of humor or being yourself to do that. Like, yeah, nobody wants that anymore. No, (laughs) that conversation just makes me so mad because I'm like, so we got this social media to connect with people, to show our lives, to do all this. But now we have to worry about limiting who we are. Like, and if if an employer looks at my social media and doesn't want me because of that, then I don't want to work for them either. Yeah, or I think that a lot of that discussion is honestly pretty rooted in like classism and racism as well. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just I think it really represents like the old guard of professionalism, which is not conducive to like healthy work-life balance as we know yeah (laughs) let's acknowledge that our employees are largely here for a paycheck and also that we have these like robust personhoods outside of our nine to five like yeah it's not a reason for existing literally but I like that you kind of get to build up your persona while also you know advertising who you work for have you ever had moments where you kind of had to think about what you post or like in more of a sense of like protecting who you are as a person um I'm trying to think I'm definitely a little bit more reserved on Instagram I think it's like we talked about with Twitter I am pretty 
intentional about not really like posting Mm -hmm. about my relationship uh I don't really talk about my sex life I do selectively talk about mental health um Mm -hmm. specifically like eating disorder stuff because that's super important to me especially as somebody who is writing about food now yeah Um, and I think that there is still a lot of really harmful discourse especially on TikTok which sucks um, yeah the young folk but there's a lot of really hard stuff to parse um so I try to be pretty open about like my struggles with that but mm-hmm. other than that uh I, I keep it pretty loosey-goosey yeah <laughs> like <laughs> mostly jokes um I don't post a ton of pictures of myself on Twitter for that reason um but yeah I don't know I, I, I think I'm pretty open about stuff I'm pretty yeah. open about my politics, um, and like I don't know, being <laughs> a socialist. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty open about all of that um, because I think it's pretty crucial to my values. But uh, no, not not so much. Yeah. So you kind of talked about a book earlier. Is there anything yeah. that you can share about that, or anything like? Oh my that? gosh, it's legit terrifying. Um, no, we're wrapping up the proposal right now. I have until Friday to get it done. And so I'm thinking about that, uh, in between sips of Dr. Pepper. Um, yeah, there's going to be some college discourse in it. Yeah. (laughs) So keep an eye out. That's exciting. Is it more humor based or is it more just like lifestyle kind of based? Yeah, it's, uh, it's humorous personal essays about perfectionism and OCD, uh, both of which I am a gorgeous representative. Gorgeous. <laughs> She's carrying the communities. Yes, absolutely known as uh, a perfectionist who also had some obsessive compulsive tendencies. So it's, yeah, it's just like about all the super embarrassing stuff that has happened to me. <laughs> like, there are so many <laughs> events. Um, but yeah, it's also getting into things like uh, sexual assault and eating disorders and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it's approaching it all through like a really humorous self-deprecating way. Yeah. I'm yeah. really excited about it. That is really exciting. I feel like especially recently, I think through the pandemic, I've seen more people like approach those topics with a little bit more humor, like people who, you know, suffer from whatever yeah. they suffer from, like making their TikToks about it and being yeah. like funny. And I know a lot of people get give some people like flack for that however you handle your own trauma is up to you like I don't think anyone can sit there and tell someone like you shouldn't be making jokes about that yeah I think it's huge comedy fodder I feel well I mean first of all if you're trying to make a living doing comedy and writing humor like you have trauma I don't care what it is like you it's in there there (laughs) we're gonna find it but it's uh yeah I don't know I think the biggest my biggest pet peeve is people my age who are I don't know like casting themselves as who take themselves too seriously I guess (laughs) and like you know I take myself and like my healing seriously for sure but also I'm a dumbass like (laughs) I certainly don't know best but I'm gonna tell you about the time that I you know got in trouble for riding a bike through my assaulter's fraternity home like why I'm gonna tell you all about it (laughs) it's gonna be embarrassing so what kind of made you want or when did you start writing the book what kind of made you want to start writing a book and 
Oh gosh. Um, I connected with my agent last year after I wrote a piece in McSweeney's internet tendency about, uh, like a a sexy night as imagined by my 10 year old self. (laughs) It's really horny and gross and and she really liked it. So she emailed me and she was like, do you have any ideas for like longer projects, like a book? And I knew that I had wanted to write an essay collection, but I had never really like put pen to paper on it I just mm-hmm. had like this extensive list of embarrassing things I've done and I was like I'd love to turn this into a book um so she's awesome she's really worked with me to help shape the proposal and then once we get that wrapped up we are uh, hoping to take it to market this year but I don't know before that I think that a longer project like a book has always been like a distant possibility mm-hmm. but well, that could be scarier <laughs> like, yeah is like the scariest thing ever and that it's so hard yeah um yeah I'm excited and scared and I am gonna get into like some more serious stuff and (laughs) ways I've been aggrieved so it's (laughs) it's scary and weird but I feel good about it I'm excited yeah so your agent reached out to you first is that how you Yes, that is what happened, um, which is, it happens a lot with humor pieces. I know like quite a few people who've connected with their agents that way because they just keep an eye on like Mm. humor sites like McSweeney's and The New Yorker. And if they see a piece that resonates with them, then they'll like ping the person to see if they have representation already. That's really cool. I feel like she is the buffer between me and the rest of the industry where like, if I don't know how something works, I can be like, Hannah, please. I was going to ask a little bit about being a woman in writing and also a woman in comedy writing especially like a woman in comedy a woman in stem yeah uh, a woman in sports <laughs> I got off to kind of a rocky start with it I will say I'm in a super progressive community now mm-hmm. like where I am in Chicago is super progressive uh satire is also pretty woman and non-binary dominated which is cool That's so really cool a lot of support and mentorship on that front uh the worst is in-person performing I think like I started doing like live comedy in Springfield and that was dreadful and I don't know that I'll ever perform there again um because the scene is like pretty regressive I ran a a storytelling show for women uh for a while called Chatty Kathy and that was super fun but uh it was like shunned by all the male comedians in town and it was just like a bizarre situation so um, I think there is still a lot of misogyny in like the stand-up community and the in-person mm-hmm. performing community, but honestly, I I don't know that I've ever run into any issues as a woman in like humor writing, mm-hmm. not performing. Um, yeah, I think that I mean most of my mentors, my editors are women and queer people, so that's been really good. I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure I'm going to meet some real shitters. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to find your nipple video and they're going to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah. I mean, besides like dumb guys in sketch classes that I've taken who have like proposed horribly offensive sketches, like it, it happens. But I think for the most part, the, the community that I'm a part of at least is like super progressive and yeah. like, a safe place. It's really, I've been really lucky to find and connect with people that I like align with. Well, yeah. Know. But I, I mean, I guess the thing is, like, I am a white lady, and mm-hmm. I also, you know, I'm in, like, a heterosexual relationship right now, so there's, I do carry, like, an immense amount of privilege in the yeah. industry, and the industry has, like, a major whiteness problem as well, so, um, yeah, 
Yeah. I don't know. I think we've, we've, <laughs> this is probably, I, I don't want to say that we've moved past sexism in the industry. Cause I don't think that's true, but I mm-hmm. think that I will never have to face a certain level of misogyny and prejudice that like black female comedy writers. Will. Yeah. Just another world. I honestly feel like the biggest thing that like, obviously misogyny still it still exists there's still (laughs) Still going strong but I feel like the biggest conversation the biggest things that I've seen recently white feminism is now kind of leading the way and it's like and there's a lot of problems with white feminism that yeah yeah. and there is a lot of that in the industry which really really sucks Um, especially with kind of like the older guard so yeah I think just doing what I can to help dismantle that and like uplifting other people is huge yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of, you probably have like bitch, uh, magazine. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. I love their stuff. They're like, amazing. And they always like, they'll post like some funny things and they'll also post just like pop culture kind of stuff. And, yeah. but they really do a good job of uplifting like underrepresented communities, voices and stuff like that. Sure. Well, I think most of their editorial staff is people of color. I yeah. didn't like that, but, um, yeah, there's some, there's some really good writers on that staff. I mean, especially in, comedy and humor you can't have effective comedy if it's not intersectional like that's just um there's a reason that we don't talk about Dan Cook anymore like yeah (laughs) he could be dead I'm not sure uh it's just it's it's not an effective industry if you're not like uplifting and prioritizing those voices yeah but I think especially like white feminism and comedy like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and all oh, them, which Amy Poehler is, I love her with all my heart. Yeah. But definitely like her and Tina Fey, like kind of our blueprint for that. The- no, 100%. 100%. I'm so glad that you said that. Um, <laughs> because I think that a lot of people still like model their approach and their careers after them. And it's, uh, yeah, I think that especially with Tina Fey, who is like, not my favorite. I like 30 Rock a lot, but... but- her whole approach is that like, because I'm a woman who was once made fun of for being a fat person, now I can punch down at anybody else. And it's yeah. not a problem, which is so wrong. Really. Yeah. Like, what are you? yeah. Is there any advice that you would want to give to, you know, people looking to get into writing, especially like freelance work and things like that? Ooh. Well, we talked about being nice and being yourself, both of which are huge. Um, There is uh, some, I think some emerging writers who are of the dude persuasion um, often feel maybe entitled to advice or entitled to like a Twitter follow back, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Um, Or just, you know, your, your time. And I, I think that making sure that you stay super, super, gracious if you are reaching out to people is like huge and that seems like a given but for some people it's not like you would be so surprised um at at the people who kind of reach out to you for advice or um get like overly familiar with you through your twitter presence so just be a normal nice human is is the biggest thing um explore different sides of what you're doing I think like I would never have gotten to this point if I hadn't like taken a satire class on a whim at Second City which was never like a kind of writing that I saw myself doing so take like a poetry class or I don't know 
even like a painting class. Like, yeah, it's, it's really good to get out of your, your comfort zone. Um, not only because it's like a fun way to meet people and making friends is hard <laughs> as a grown up, um, but because you can make some really, really good connections um, and also explore something that might be huge. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautifully spoken. I think that's also another kind of backlash of like social media and like becoming, you know, a presence is people yeah. thinking that you owe them something like or that, you, or that they know you that yeah. is all, like and you know I mean I'm not a I'm not a famous person I'm I don't have a huge following but there is a weird thing with people getting overly familiar on social media that I find super off-putting or yeah um yeah so just be nice to people, but also acknowledge that, like, they are strangers. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and they're, like, entitled to say no. And yeah, they're entitled to not open your DM if you're asking for, you know, a 30-minute coaching session. Like, it's, um, and okay, I say this, but I'm always down to do stuff like that. Like, I, you know, I'm always down for, for stuff like that, especially with newer writers. But um, I just think it's super important to be conscious of, people's time and also yeah just don't be a weird out yeah don't reply to all my tweets with a rango gif like don't don't be weird I don't know I this is just for men this yeah. is any woman or queer person or non-binary person can get into my dms at any time and I will do anything for you <laughs> like, just men just this is just for the white dudes this one's just for the white dudes because I really think they're the only ones that do that yeah Okay, beautiful. Well, tell people where to find you, um, you know, where yeah. to look for you, places that you want them to go, all that yes. kind of stuff. Some places. Uh, okay, well, you can find my my day job is thetakeout.com. Um, that's where I do my food writing. And then my website is lillianstone.com. And you can see my latest clips and news on that. And then my Twitter is uh, at original spinster with no E in the spinster because somebody took that. Took that? That's that ass taken. <laughs> you need to get, uh, get some more clout on that and have your agent work on that one. Yes. Thank work you. I will have my agent work on that uh, and maybe slide into their DMs and ask really nicely. Is that the way to get stuff done? Please. <laughs> Can <I> <laughs> <laughs> all right. Perfect. I'm going to put that all in the show notes, everything cool. like that, all your links and all that fun stuff. Okay, yay. yay. Thank Good. you. Enjoy your lentil soup. Thank you. I'm going to go eat it right now. Okay. Have a good rest of your night. Bye. Bye. Well, what did I say? You fell in love with her, didn't you? Well, if you did, which I know you had to, make sure to go follow Lillian at Original Spinster on Twitter and go look at her website. Look at all the things that she's done because she's done a lot she's written for a lot um i will have it all linked in the show notes also make sure you follow loudmouth to keep up to date make sure you give us a five-star rating on whatever platform that you're li listening to us to follow me at loudmouth pod on instagram and very exciting news loudmouth entered the twitter sphere twitter sphere <laughs> So make sure you go to Twitter and follow us. Um, it's loudmouth underscore pod. There's another loudmouth pod on there with no underscore. I'm going to see if I can um, take their name. So I tried to DM them, but it won't let me DM them. So if any um, Twitter experts know how to get me in contact with any of those people or how to make that happen, please hit me up because I would love to just have loudmouth pod be in my name. But 
It's at loudmouth underscore pod. I will have it linked in the show notes. Make sure you follow me on there. Make sure you buy your Loudmouth merch if you haven't yet. Show it off to all your friends. Show them that you are goddamn Loudmouth and a force to be reckoned with. Um, I love you guys. Um, Happy Pride. You know, happy almost Juneteenth. I'm going to be having an episode next week where we talk about Juneteenth a little bit um, with my friend Tyler. So make sure you kind of keep your eye out for that. But for now, follow me, subscribe to the podcast, give it a five-star review, um, buy merch, Venmo me at Mad Hadler, you know, whatever you feel you feel like you need to do to support this podcast. Go ahead and do it. You know, I'm a broke I'm not a college student anymore, but I'm a broke 23-year-old girl. I'll take any money you want to give me. Um, But I love you guys, and I will talk to you next Wednesday. Bye.